I'm super excited to be on part two of Colossians. This is just an amazing, amazing book. Paul wrote this letter, and, and don't forget all those notes are in the CBC app. If you want to follow along with those Bible verses, we're going to be going through the end of chapter one through most of chapter two. So if you can just open in one spot, and I won't jump all over the place, uh, but that's what we'll be this morning, Colossians chapter one. How many of y'all had a chance to read that uh, chapter like I challenged you last week? How many of y'all had a chance to do that? You can raise your hand. Go ahead. Awesome. Man, that's awesome. That's great. Hey, if you didn't get a chance to do that, I want you to catch up this next week and read chapter one and chapter two, because we're in here talking about this stuff, but there is no way that we will ever be able to cover everything that's in these chapters. And especially this week, uh, as we look at most of chapter two, there's so much uh, godly encouragement and wisdom and correction in these chapters. And I want to challenge you not to uh, just feel like it's done and we covered it because there's so much God wants to show you through these uh, verses as well. But Paul wrote this letter to this church in Colossae. And there were some great things about this church. They loved Jesus. But there also was some heresy. There was a group of them that were adding to the faith, taking things from other religions and adding to the gospel. And this group had projected that they had a higher knowledge, right? They were insiders. And they were more deep in their faith. And they had more understanding than normal people. And they looked down on people that weren't quite on their level. You'll see uh, Paul use this phrase in this letter to the church in Colossae. He'll say, uh, the mystery of Christ. And what he's doing there is he is using the vernacular of these people that were adding to their faith against them. They acted like they had a secret knowledge, but Paul says the Messiah was the mystery and he has been revealed and you don't need something more. You need more of Jesus. So don't forget where Paul came from though, right? He was a Jewish man that was highly educated in Judaism and he was committed and he was dogmatic so much so that he persecuted early Christians. But then Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and everything changed for him. So let's jump into some of the most jam-packed theological and impactful scripture ever written. And again, I wish I could uh, tell you that we're going to do all of this justice, but I want you to go back and read chapter two. There's so much truth in just these few verses. So Colossians chapter one, verse 24, Paul speaking to this church, he says, now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Why? To make the word of God fully known. Paul had suffered to bring the gospel and this message of hope in Christ to the people. And he put his safety first and his comfort to the side for the sake of others and for the sake of the gospel. But he says here it was worth it. And he is happy to go through what he has gone through in order to make God known. Verse 26, he said to make the word of God fully known. And then he says the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints 
To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. So God chose uh, the saints to make known the glory of God's riches to those that do not know. And what is that mystery? It says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Everything that God has done and promised and said in the Old Testament was pointing towards Jesus. But there was still a barrier in the Old Testament, right? The message was that something is coming but is not here yet. And for ages and generations, only priests could go into the presence of God in the temple. And God was mainly dealing with the Jews as his people. But when Jesus came, all those barriers came down. And because of the sacrifice on the cross, all who were weary and heavy laden could come to him and find rest. No matter the nationality, no matter the ethnicity, through Jesus, anyone could come into God's presence. See, we have something that Abraham and Moses and Jacob didn't know. They had glimpses of it, but we have the full picture. The cross is the mystery of God. This great mystery revealed. Have hope because Jesus is greater than everything. And if you're a follower of, of Christ, then Jesus in you is better than anything in the world. Anything that you might trade your worship for the risen Savior and instead worship this other thing. It is broken. It is mute. It is deaf. That idol will not suffice you. Christ and him alone. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's all about Jesus. Christ is not far away. Christ is not a distant, cloudy promise. Christ in you. This is your hope. God came to us. The cross of Christ is this great mystery revealed. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then the Jesus in you is far better than anything in this world. And if you're facing a battle that God has led you to, then you can be confident that no weapon against you uh, that is fashioned against you can stand and you have victory and you're already an overcomer. Jesus wins. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Louis Giglio says this, if we're not careful, we can have a Christ and you mentality. Christ and me says Christ died on the cross for me, but now it's up to me to do the rest. But Christ in me says Christ died on the cross for me, and now it's up to him to do the rest. And all I do is surrender. You can never try hard enough to clean yourself up, to be a good person. We can only become who God wants us to be by surrendering to Christ in me and letting him have the reins. We walk and we move and we step in the will of Christ and we live in constant awareness that we can't do it on our own. You've got to accept that every morning that I will fail, I will screw up, I will mess this day up unless I give it over to Jesus Christ. Christ in me is my only hope. 
Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Christ is greater than everything. And this verse says it's our mission to proclaim to all those that don't know that Christ in us is why we have hope. It's not because of our morals. It's not because of our politics. It's not because of our church membership. Christ in me is the only reason I have hope. The only thing that is good in me is Jesus Christ. See, God chose you to make known the riches of his mercy to this world. And you need to know how to tell people and to be actively telling people why you have this hope. You don't need a degree. You don't need a title to tell someone the reason that you have hope in Jesus Christ. Care about people, serve people, and share the hope that is in you. Paul goes on in verse 28. Him we proclaim... Jesus is who we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may be present, uh, excuse me, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He says, for this I toil and struggle. Paul says it's not easy. Paul says it doesn't, it's not comfortable. He says, I toil and struggle. But then he says this, he says, with all his energy. It's not with my energy. It's not with my just, uh, you know, work ethic. He says, I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Paul says, I don't have this in me. It's not because of me that I'm able to suffer in prison and still write scripture to go and encourage me. It's not in me that I'm able to go through shipwrecks and stonings and uh, being bitten by snakes and, and almost dressed. None of that. That energy is not in me. It's his power in me. Him we, we proclaim. Jesus is the sermon and we are the preacher. So this idea about higher knowledge, right? This insider club heresy, this hidden spiritual practices, that's not where it's at. Christ in us is what perfects us and completes us and matures us. Not some like secret Bible code, right? That you like put all the letters together and you do a crossword puzzle with the words of the Bible. You, have you not seen that? It's on the History Channel all the time, right? That's not where it's at. It's not about some new prophetic knowledge. Jesus is greater than all of that and he is all that we need. Even when your podium almost falls over. <laughs> but Paul is laboring and toiling and struggling. But in the power of Christ, Christ in him is what makes the difference. In the beginning of the next chapter, Paul says to this church in Colossae, he didn't plant this church. He sent one of his uh, fellow laborers, Epaphras, to go there. He doesn't personally know these people. But in the beginning of the next chapter, he says, you don't know me, but I've been fighting for you, fighting for you to have this gospel. You, you may not know me, but I love you. And we share in this great mystery that is Christ. And hey, you don't need anything more. It knits us together as brothers and sisters. So chapter two, verse three, he says, Christ, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. 
For though I am absent in the body, yet I am present in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He's saying in Christ is all the hidden knowledge you would ever need. Falling, uh, finding yourself falling deeper in love with Jesus Christ. And then he warns me, he says, people are going to come to you and they're going to give you convincing arguments and promises that are not found on Jesus. And they're going to put it on Facebook. This is what he said. It's not me, right? He said, they're going to put it on Facebook and it's going to look like it's legit. And you're going to be tempted to believe it because it falls within your belief system. And you're going to be tempted to share it even though it's not true. And people are going to come, is what it says. I'm joking about the Facebook thing. It says people are going to come and try and delude you away from Jesus and Christ and Christ alone with plausible arguments that are not founded on Jesus. And he says, beware. Don't build your life on that stuff. Don't delude your life and water down your impact for Christ by adding more things to your faith, things that aren't eternal and things that will not last. You don't need something more. You don't need something hidden. The the mystery is revealed and it is Jesus. You need more of Jesus. Then Paul says, even though I can't be with you, I'm rooting for you in spirit. I'm cheering you on and rejoicing with you when you have the victory. He's telling this church to keep the faith. Go church, go. Keep it up. You're doing awesome. Watch out for this heresy and make it Christ in him alone. Verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Just like you received Christ, we're supposed to live in him and walk in him. Christ in me and me in him. Your identity over everything else should be found in Christ first. It's bigger than your last name or the city that you were born in, the ethnicity that you were uh, born, the identity that you have as a follower of Jesus should be in Christ firstly. You are his and you are in him. Our salvation didn't come by works that we can boast about. And our walking with Christ does not happen by works that we can boast about. It's Christ in us is where we have the energy and the power and the passion to change and move and walk in him. That same grace that saved you, you need that same grace every single day to help us to change and not to fall into our old nature. We need that same surrender that we had When we accepted Christ, we need that surrender every day to surrender to him living through us with his power under his control. It says here to be rooted in him. That's a depth to our relationship, more than just shallow and surface. Rooted and built up and established in the faith. Nothing else. And if we're rooted in Christ, we'll be protected from all those lies and those plausible arguments out there and those tricks that would want to distract us from following Jesus. And if we're rooted in him, we're going to see the blessings that we have and and abound in thanksgiving. Verse 8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit 
according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul says, be careful. People will tell you that they have the secret to your happiness. They're going to tell you they have the secret to your religious experience. But we don't need something more. What's the rest of that? There it is. We need more of Jesus. We don't need something more. We need more of Jesus. We don't need to be part of a secret society that has an inside track to God. We have all access to him through Christ. We don't need a new philosophy. We need a new love for Jesus. And human tradition mixed with your faith ruins it. Elemental and earthly philosophy and politics mixed, uh, mixed with your faith ruins it. Everything you need in, is in Christ. You don't need any of that other stuff. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Colossians 2.9 For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Paul tells us again here in this chapter that the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. Jesus is not part God and part man. He's not like a werewolf, right? Where he's like somewhere in between a wolf and a man. No, he is simultaneously everything that God is and everything that man is. He's 100% God and 100% man. He's the fullness of God. No one competes with who Jesus is. And no one can compete with what Jesus provides for us. There's not some extra revelation that you're waiting for that some priest or prophet or pastor has that you don't have access to. No, Christ, the fullness of God, is all that you need. And Christ is better than anything. Verse 10. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all and authority. In Christ, we have everything we need to do everything that God has called us to do. In Christ, we have everything we need to do everything that God has called us to do. Is that up there? Nope. Christ has everything we need <laughs> in order to do everything that God has called us to do. You might say, well, my personality. Nope. Stop. You might say, well, my past. Nuh-uh. You might say, well, I'm just not like that. Hold up. It's not about you. Christ has everything that you need in order to do everything that he has called you to do. Verse, uh, yeah, verse 10 said, we just read, it says, you have been filled in him who is the head of all and authority, uh, the rule and authority. And yes, look, you might uh, just be stuck in that place where you say, well, I'm just a sinner. And that is true. You are a sinner. But we are sinners that have been spiritually raised from the dead. And we have Jesus in us. We are victors. We have power, not in ourselves, but Christ in us. Why? Because we have access to the fullness of God in Christ. He is the head. He is the authority. Now, Satan wants to be the head, right? He wants to rule you and pull you away from God. Your own heart wants to be the head of your life and to sit on the throne in your life. He wants to pull you away. But Jesus is the only one that has genuine authority. All others are imposters and they will ruin you. We all experience this new life in Christ 
when we accept uh, to become a follower of Jesus. And, and when we do that, we take part in the resurrection. The old us passed away and there's a new us in Jesus. Verse 12 says that. It says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. This next portion of Scripture, I want you to look at this. In Colossians 2, chapter 13, it's some of my favorite Scripture in all of the Bible. Paul starts off and says, and you. Everybody say, me? All right, you ready? I'm going to try it again. And you. Me? Right? And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. This is me. This is what God did for me. Having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us, with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Did you ever have a teacher send home a note to your parents about something that you did that you needed to hand them and have them sign, right? Man, that was a nerve-wracking situation, right? You try and think of all the different ways that you can get out of it. Maybe I could, you know, forge my parents' signature. Maybe I could lose it and I accidentally swallow it somehow or something like that. Dog ate it. Yeah, that's a great one. But think about that, right? Think about that situation where a parent, I mean, excuse me, a teacher gives you a note that you did something wrong that you have to bring home to your parent. Maybe it's that you were being disruptive or you're bullying someone or, or talking in class. I remember the dread of having to no, uh, give that note to my parents. So stop, close your eyes, okay? Instead of that, that childish thing that we'd probably be over now, on that note, imagine your deepest, darkest sin. The thing that if anybody else found out, you would just be broken. The thing that you carry that shame around for. And you know it would just, just ruin you. Imagine that's what's on that note. And instead of a parent, you're taking that note with your deepest, darkest sin to an all-knowing God a holy God, and a perfect God. You can look up here now. You're taking this note with all your deepest, darkest sins, things that would break you, and you're handing it to an all-knowing God. And he opens it, and he reads through those things. And slowly he stands up, and he nails that note to the cross of Jesus Christ. 
forgiving every one of them because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, when a person was to be executed under Roman law, those uh, things that are against that person were nailed to the cross so that everyone would know this is why this is happening. And when uh, Jesus, what he did for us is he took our charges, that sin note with all our deepest, darkest sins, and he nailed them to his own cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ takes away all the power of those sin notes, all the guilt and the shame surrounding them as if to make a mockery of them. That is the power of the cross. Your sin debt is canceled, finished, and done. And that guilt you might have just had and that worry and fear that you might have just had thinking about those sins that are deep, dark in the back of your mind, all that is powerless. Because God has nailed those things to the cross of Jesus Christ. Talk about debt forgiveness. Now, Satan, the accuser, he wants to bring those things back up and say, hey, what about this note? Right? Hey, what about these things? You're not the person that you say you are. You're an imposter. And you can look at him and say, Jesus is who you need to talk to. Those aren't mine anymore. He took my sin and gave me, for whatever reason, his righteousness. Christ already took care of it. Get behind me, Satan. Tony Evans says, when someone's pointing a gun at you, which, no, you know, you shouldn't do, ever, don't do that. Someone's pointing a gun in you, whether or not that gun is loaded makes a big difference, right? The devil doesn't want you to know that his gun has been emptied by the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no power, and you don't have to cower in fear anymore. Death, sin, and the grave are defeated. And the cross contains forgiveness from sin and victory over death and the example of Christ on how to live. And now we're supposed to live like Jesus. He gave up his comfort and safety for our sake. And we should give up our comfort and our safety for the sake of others, just like Jesus did. We know that sin causes death, right? And dead things can't help themselves. But Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Christ is better than everything. How can you get bored with this story? How can you ever get tired of it? How could you ever be apathetic? How could I ever take it for granted? It's our story. Jesus in my place. So tell someone of the reason that you have hope, debts canceled, guilt and shame and condemnation nailed to the cross of Jesus. You are forgiven. And you don't need some new philosophy. You don't need some secret hidden knowledge. You have the mystery revealed, and it's Christ in him alone. What you need is a new love for Jesus. Go back to your first love. And if you've accepted Christ, then you have Christ in you, the hope of glory.
you have the victory. So why are you stuck? Why do you walk around defeated all the time? Why have you, you know, a real Christian word, why have you backslidden for the past five years? And you look back and you think, man, I just had such an amazing relationship with Christ years ago. I used to serve. I used to give. I used to uh, love people. And I, I feel like I maybe uh, exhibited the fruits of the Spirit better in the past. W- what has changed? It's not the message, right? cross hasn't changed. And the power that he has given us through the cross hasn't changed. What has you down and defeated? In Christ, you have everything that you need to do everything that God has called you to do. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You don't need something more. You need more of Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as the band comes. Doesn't it seem like sometimes the Christians are some of the most scared, defeated people in the whole entire world? Doesn't make any sense. Through Jesus, we have everything that we need. He has given us the ability to speak with him at any moment of any day when we're struggling, when we need help, when we need encouragement. He's given us that. We have the power to do that through prayer. He's given us. When Christ left, he gave us the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us to give us strength and to give us power. So we have the ability to communicate. We have the power to do what he wants us to do. He also left us his word. And instruction and correction. We have everything that we need. And we don't need to be defeated. We don't need to drag our feet around. Worried about how hell is, I mean, uh, uh, the, the, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. As if we've lost. We have the victory. And his name is Jesus. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Hope is the word that Christians should be known for. Because we're the only ones that have it. But we hide it. We let it diminish. We get distracted. Have hope. Every head's bowed and eyes closed. Why have you felt defeated? Why have you felt stuck? Why have you felt lost and confused and afraid? If you're a follower of Jesus, and you've accepted him, and you've, you've uh, you know, asked for forgiveness of your sin and put all your hope in Jesus Christ, then you have him in you. And the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is in you. Don't be defeated. The Bible calls us victors and conquerors, and overcomers. Not in our own strength, but just like Paul said, it's not my power that I toil and I struggle. It's him working through me. We need to reset our worldview and our outlook. 
If you're a Christian today, you're a follower of Jesus, would you take a minute right now to remind your heart to have hope? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure that you have a relationship with the God of the universe. Maybe you're, you, know, you feel like you're a pretty good person. Uh, maybe you have church background. You're not against God. But those things, those things are good. But Christ on the cross is the only thing that will help us get to God and restore a relationship. See, we have a problem. That problem is called sin. It happened thousands of years ago, and every single one of us has struggled with it ever since. Sin separates us from God. God is a holy God. When we sin, we hurt other people, and we hurt His creation. And that causes problems between us and a holy God. The Bible goes as far to say that the wages of our sin is death. What we earn and what we deserve for our sin is death in a place called hell. Eternal separation from God. And God is not a bully. God will allow you to choose to say, I, I will pay that price. But we just talked about how Jesus already did, and he would love to pay the price of your sin for you today. Why? Because you were made to glorify God and to live in relationship with him. And Christ died on the cross to buy us back, to redeem us. Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. Jesus in my place. Even though we were sinners, even though we didn't deserve it, Jesus took those sin notes nailed him to his own cross, and he suffered the punishment for our sin. doesn't make any sense, but he did it to buy you back to God, to give God the glory. The Bible simply says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. No amount of church membership or works or uh, any of that stuff is what restores your relationship with God. You simply have to accept the gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. Turn from your sin, everything else that you're holding on to. Call out to Jesus Christ right now. Those of you online, those of you in person, if that's you today, I want to encourage you to take that step once and for all. The words aren't important. It's not a magic prayer. You just need to know that you're a sinner. You need to know there's a penalty for your sin. Jesus paid it. You simply have to accept that. Accept that gift. Why don't you do that today? Heavenly Father, God, we love you. God, I pray as we head into this time of communion that we'll remember this great sacrifice that you gave us on the cross. Help us never to get over it. Help us to never get over the gospel. Help us never to get distracted. Help us to fall deeper and deeper in love with it. In your name we pray. Amen.